I'm excited to be back. Anybody excited to be here this morning? All right, good. I'm in the right company. Um, This past week, myself, Michelle, our missions coordinator, and Pastor Mike, my mentor and pastor from the greenhouse in Gainesville, were in Guyana. Can everybody say what's up to the Guyana crew? Turn around and say what's up. Some of them watching on camera, just wave your hands. This shirt was a surprise gift Pastor Mike and I, they donned us with. This is the Guyanese flag, the golden arrowhead. I kind of like it. It's got a little Guyana crew in the back there. So I told them, I'm like, I'm gonna wear this when I preach. And then they laughed and I'm like, no, for real, I'm, I'm really gonna do it. So love you guys. Guys, it was an amazing trip. I've got to be honest, man. There are ways in which I'm so thankful that God's kingdom is not American. I'm so thankful that God's kingdom is not even North American. There are beautiful aspects of God's kingdom in every culture, including ours. And then there are aspects of God's kingdom that every culture lacks. And when the family of God comes together, we strengthen one another in areas where alone we might be weak. Isn't that good? Isn't God a genius for that? Some incredible stuff. We're in the midst of a new series called Live Green. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, Live Green. Live Green. We're we're not talking about being environmentally conscious, and we're not talking about botany, and we're not talking about medicinal marijuana. We're talking about the discipleship essentials. Jesus said in Matthew 28, he said that, that followers of Jesus are supposed to go and make what? Disciples. They're supposed to go and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so we're talking about it. It's, by the way, it's why we exist as a church. We exist to help ordinary people like you and I become passionate followers of Jesus. Or to say it another way, we exist to be and to make disciples. Now you're tracking with me. I'm a talkback preacher. So if you're like, what do you want me to do? Just yell. I'll preach shorter. I'll feel like it's going really well. And then we'll all get out of here on time and it'll be beautiful. We're we're called to be and to make disciples, which is great and which is clear. But the question is, what is a disciple? Or what does it mean to make disciples? And so we've kicked off in this series. If, you've, if you're joining in for the first time online or in the room, I'd encourage you to jump back a few weeks uh, and, and check it out. You can check it out on our YouTube channel or our podcast. Just search Greenhouse South Florida and you'll find it. But I'll give us a brief recap here. Week one, we talked about this idea of living in the green. Everybody say living in the green. Living in the green is why we're called the Greenhouse Church, by the way. It's, it's kind of this diagram here. You see the yellow up there at the top. That's worship and, and community and, and mission. It's living in the green. The intersection of these three realities are what followers of Jesus are called to live in. But week one, we talked about how green ultimately starts with yellow. The first commandment is our first priority, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Last week, we, we moved to the community blue. We, we dialogued in the story in 1 Samuel about how every David needs a Jonathan and you need community. Again, you can catch up on those from the past few weeks, but, but I think to some degree, all of these are somewhat intuitive. Scripture says that God has placed eternity in the hearts of men and women. There's something in us that knows that there, there's a divine, there's a creator, there's something bigger than us out there. It spans continents and cultures. We, we know there's something bigger than ourselves. When it comes to community, well, I mean, n- nobody wants to be alone, right? Nobody, we got songs about that. Luan is the loneliest number, right? We don't, nobody wants to be alone. And, but then there's this final component, and I think if we're being circumspect, this is the most challenging one, because why, while it's very natural to move towards God because we need his help. And while it's very natural to move towards people because we need their help, what do we do with the thought of moving outside of ourselves simply for the benefit of others? We like the idea. 
We all applaud the first responders when we're there in the rubble risking life and limb because we don't know if that other building is gonna stay or how long. We pray to God it does, but we don't know. We all think it's amazing, but when it comes down to it, we're like, oh, I don't know. And so we've saved sort of the hardest for last, this element of living in the green that we struggle with universally as humanity the most. This week, I wanna talk about mission. So if you'll stand with me to your feet as we get ready to read and honor God's word together. If you're watching online, you can stand as well at your coffee table or in your living room. We're going to be in Luke chapter 10. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, Luke chapter 10. If you ain't got a Bible, Sky Bible's got you covered for your viewing enjoyment. Are you guys ready to jump into the words of Jesus? All right, that was, I'm almost convinced now. We'll see if we can get better as we move along. Luke 10, 25, here we go. It says, on one occasion, an expert in the law, other versions say a lawyer. Now, this is not a civil lawyer. This is a lawyer of the Torah, of the teachings. The law was another word for the Torah, the teachings of God in relation to human flourishing. There was this expert in the Torah, this expert in the law, and he stood up to test Rabbi Jesus. He told him, teacher or rabbi, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus answers his question with a question. Don't you love friends like that? Isn't that delightful? Jesus says, well, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And the man answers, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Does this sound familiar to anybody? Right? We'll get into it. Jesus says, you have answered correctly. Bingo, you get the goldfish that Andrea was talking about for kids' church. Here you go. You win it. You have answered correctly, Jesus said. Do this. Everybody say, do this. Do this. And you will live. We can't mess this last verse. And it's where we're going to camp our conversation this morning. But this man, he wanted to justify himself. Just like we all do. So he asked Jesus, well, Jesus, I mean, who's my neighbor? Let's pray. Jesus, remind us this morning the answer to this question. Who is my neighbor. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat, give your neighbor a high five if you came with them or an air high five. If you didn't, we're gonna jump into this thing. Here's how I wanna begin. Christianity is boring. Christianity is boring. You probably didn't anticipate those being the first words coming out of a preacher's mouth, but Christianity is Boring. Have you ever said that? You ever thought that? You had a friend who thought that, right? You're like, what in the world? Christianity in, its, in, in the rules, in the, in, the, in the religious structure, in the religious system, in its North American implementation, so often we feel irreverent, but we're like, man, it's just plain boring. See, but God isn't boring, and the way of Jesus, especially as we read it in the scriptures, you look at the book of Acts, it was anything but boring. So what are we missing? What is it that we're missing? I remember growing up, I, I played hockey. Anybody played hockey here growing up? No, two of us, because nobody plays hockey in South Florida. But I was one of those weird ones when I was growing up. The Florida Panthers, the NHL team had just come down here and they threw a bunch of money into trying to make it a thing. I don't think it really happened, but um, as evidenced by our fan base. But uh, I played hockey, right? And so that was one of my main sports, that and football, God's favorite sport. And, um, and I remember we had different coaches growing up, and I'll never forget Coach Mark. 
Coach Mark, when I was about 12, 13 years old, Coach Mark was a scientist by profession and he was a coach by volunteering. Uh, and it showed, bless his heart, Coach Mark tried to science hockey. And so we would get together and, and we would talk about hockey. We would talk about the nuances of the sport and the proper implementation, how we should think about the angles when it comes to hockey. And Coach Mark would do drills on drills on drills on drills and, and until the 12 and 13-year-old boys basically had a mutiny. And we're sitting there, we're like, Coach Mark. I feel like Allen Iverson. I'm like, Coach Mark, we came to play hockey, not talk about hockey. I remember, I'm like, man, God bless this coach, but he was not reading the room. These kids are, we're about to go out of our mind because we didn't come to talk. We came to play. See, all great teams and all great organizations have a mission. A football team has a mission. You know what it is? To score touchdowns. A hockey team has a mission. You know what it is? To score goals. A basketball team has a mission. You know what it is? To score buckets, to score baskets, to score points, right? You're like, why are we talking about sports so much? Because I'm using it as an analogy and I like sports, all right? Just vibe with me. There, there is a mission, and so I want us to imagine for a second if a football team got together and they huddle up, you know that thing where all the guys gather around, they huddle up, and they're like, man... Y'all are so cool. Man, I just like you guys. Man, isn't this a fantastic community? And the football team just decides, you know what? We're just going to stay in the huddle for the whole game. And they're there. They're having a good, they're telling stories. They're telling the, they're, they're talking about what they've done in their life. And, and the game goes by. And like the Miami Dolphins, they lose almost every game of the season, although I got hopes for us this year. But they go through and they lose all these games. They, they could conclude, man, this sport is so boring. But the issue isn't the sport. The issue is the implementation. You got a basketball team, and they're like, you know what? We just, we just love our fans. We're just so grateful for our fans. We're going to have Honor the Fan Day. And so they get together, and they all just kind of stand at half court, and they sing songs to the, to the stands, to all their fans. And, and, they're selling, and they're like, you know what? You always cheer for us. We're going to cheer for you guys. And they get at half court, and they start cheering for the fans. It would feel kind of nice, but at the end of the game, you would lose 197 to zero, and it would be very boring. Not because of the sport, but because of the implementation. Because the team had forgotten the mission. And there's a team called the church. There's a team called the people of God. And Jesus gave his team a mission. Our master gave us a mission. Do you know what it is? I'll give you a clue. We talk about it all the time. There it is. It's to go and make what? Disciples. It's to go and make disciples. Now, let me connect the dots here because this is passionately in my heart for this reason. And here's why this matters so immensely, and I'm praying that we get it in the room and online this morning. We are all here watching in online here in the room because we care. There's lots of other things you could be doing on a Sunday morning. You could have been sleeping in. You could have been playing basketball. You could have been making a big old breakfast. And maybe you did that and came because we don't start until 1030. But there's lots of other things you could be doing. But you're here because you care, because spirituality, it, it matters to you, because God, he matters to you, because you want to grow in your faith, because you want to make a difference in this world, maybe because you're just curious about this whole Jesus thing and you came with a friend to check it out. Whatever the reason might be, you are here because you care enough to come. You care enough to tune in. That's why we're here, but 
But God has defined in his word what the care that he is looking for looks like. And the care that he is looking for is green. Worship and community and mission. And here's where I'm trying to go, and I don't want you to miss this. Key in with me here. And if you miss the mission, you miss out on the adventure and the purpose you were created for. If you miss the mission, you miss out on the adventure and the purpose you were created for. As followers of Jesus, we have a mission. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't miss the mission. Don't miss the mission. You're like, why do I have to talk to my neighbor so much? I don't know. I just, I just like it. Y'all are building some community there, except for introverts who hate it. Sorry. As followers of Jesus, we have a mission, and I will let you know that overwhelmingly the common denominator for bored Christians, when I hear their story, when I hear their grievances, when I hear their diatribes, it all boils down to this. They have forgotten, guess what? The mission. They have forgotten the mission. We're born with purpose. We've said it in this series. Our, our purpose, fundamentally, you feel it in your frame. Like, I, I feel like I'm here to make a difference in this world. You're right, you are, and God placed it on the inside of you. We've talked about it as loving God and loving people, or if we want to use the language of this passion, the the mission, the purpose is to love God and love your neighbor, but here's the problem. There is a little scribe in all of us who asks the question, but I mean, who exactly is my neighbor? Here's my big idea. Here's my core thought, and then we'll dive in. Your faith comes fully alive when you embrace the call to mission. Your faith comes fully alive when you embrace the call to mission. You guys ready to dive in? All right, let's do this thing. Get your notebook ready. Get your pad and your Bible ready. Here we go. You ever went to a store and you came home with everything but the things that you went for? Anybody ever experienced that joy? I see wives tapping their husbands right now and husbands tapping their wives, and hopefully I didn't just start a fight in your relationship. Um, but uh, I, this, this is me. Uh, growing up, uh, when I got to college, um, I experienced the wonders of Publix BOGO. Anybody else survive through Publix BOGO? Like, you go to, like, if you're watching, you're like, what's Publix? It, it is like the kingdom of God coming to a grocery store. It is amazing. Get, get a sub when you're there and you will taste and see that the pub sub is good, all right? You'll thank me for that one later. Um, But I remember going to Publix, and thank God for Publix BOGO, because it it kept, BOGO stands for buy one, get one free, in case you're not tracking with me, vernacular. Um, Publix BOGO kept me alive through college. I would literally go to Publix, and I would walk through the aisles, and I would make my shopping list in the moment based off of whatever was on BOGO. Anybody else do that besides me? Is that, okay, one person, thank you, Rochelle, the shepherd who feels bad for me. Brian, I see you. I I would make, that's what I did. And that worked great for survival. I don't know if it was the best for my holistic health, but it worked great for my survival until I got married. Now, my wife is a queen. My Boricua beauty, she could cook, and she, she's amazing, and she's incredible, and you already met her, and she's shaking her head. She's like, don't call me that. But, um, but I sort of thought that my approach to grocery store purchasing would work when I got married. Um, and so, but my wife like, actually wanted like, specific things from the grocery store. Which is a totally new concept to me. And so she's like, hey, I need you to go to the grocery store and grab like X and Y, like two things. And so I was thinking like, I didn't go to the grocery store with a list. I just kind of went with like, you know, an open heart to, to the Holy Spirit, you know? And, and if I was hungry, that was a dangerous scenario because then I'm grabbing everything on BOGO, right? But, but I was like, okay, it's two things though. Like how, how, bad, how hard could it be? I don't need a list. Big mistake. 
So I went to the grocery store, and, and the problem is, it's like full of wonders. Like Publix is full of awe and wonder, like all of these things, and they're, they're, they're p- placed right in front of you. And so, so you're there, and, and, and so I got a lot of things at the grocery store that I didn't know that I really needed. Except when I got home, the two things that I actually was sent to get, and I realized very quickly, I actually need a list to go to the grocery store. So for any of you, I'm trying to help you all out here, get a list when you go to the grocery store and check it so that you bring home everything you have been enlisted to grab. Was that helpful to anybody here? Did I just help your relationship a little bit? All right, praise the Lord. So here's the thing, I went, I went out, I, I, I was out and about, I was even kind of in the general right track and that I was at the grocery store. The problem was that while I was going, I forgot about the mission because I was given a mission by my beautiful bride and, and I had good intentions, but it didn't actualize. And, and so I wanna bring us back here. I was fascinated by this scribe. As we were going through, I was actually with the crew in Guyana, and we were doing some sermon prep together. So shout out to Orlando and and Phil and Kez and Anthony. We did some of this together. They're like, oh, we're excited to see it all come together. But but I was thinking about this scribe, and and, and it all starts with him kind of testing Jesus. In Luke 10, it says, on one occasion, this this expert in the law or this scribe, he, he stood up to test Jesus, saying, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, at first glance, we might think this guy's a punk. Actually, he is doing his due diligence. See, this scribe, this expert in the law, he would have been one of these religious group called the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were very, rightly so, interested in accurate doctrine. They wanted to make sure that people were sound. See, because at that time period, you had all sorts of different rabbis. You had all sorts of different teachers. And it was actually not even uncommon for one of these rabbis or teachers to claim to be the Messiah. So what this scribe, what this expert in the law was doing was actually he was doing his due diligence. He was judiciously saying, now let me go and make sure this guy is on track when it comes to the law and the prophets. Is, to say it another way in our vernacular, is he a Bible guy? Does he have sound doctrine? He was making sure of that. But the exchange sounds eerily familiar, doesn't it? We began this series in the book of Matthew, and and in the book of Matthew, we're given a similar exchange. In the book of Mark, actually, we're given a similar exchange as well. This expert, this scribe, this teacher in the law comes to Jesus and asks the question, which is the greatest commandment? Jesus goes on to tell him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. I I jumped into a bunch of commentaries because I'm like, wait a second, I feel like I've read this before. I feel like we preached this already. And I went back through, and and it's this interesting passage because uh, theologians and and Bible commentaries are like, you know, we don't know for sure if this was the same person or if it was a different person, but the same sort of scenario. But at the very least, Matthew and Mark seem to be the same situation from different vantage points. The same flow kind of happens. But here in Luke, it's different. In Matthew and Mark, they ask Jesus and Jesus answers. In Luke, they ask Jesus and what does Jesus do? He responds back with a question. He responds back with a question. See, this is a different exchange. Look at verse 26. The man asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you tell me. What's written in the law? How do you read it? How do you read it? See, what I find interesting, we don't know definitively, is this the same scribe, the the same expert in the law? Is this a different expert in the law? We don't know for sure. What we do know is that he had been listening to Jesus. What we do know is he was one of his, if you want to put it in our context, one of his churchgoers. He might have been one of his congregates. He might have been following along with Jesus. I would probably argue that he was a fan to some degree. You're like, why would you say that? 
Look at the next verse. Jesus, Jesus responds back to this man, and I almost picture Jesus here with a little smile. He's like, check you out, man. I almost picture a twinkle in his eyes, like recognizes this guy or, or, or realizes him in the crowd, and he says, well, well, what do you think? And the man parrots back in verse 27 exactly what Jesus had said in an earlier exchange. This is like, you ever had that student in the class? They're kind of listening to the teacher, and they're like, the teacher says something, and the student's like, Duh. and then like, 30 seconds later or 30 minutes later or a few minutes later, the teacher asks the question and the student parrots back exactly what the teacher said. And the teacher's like, you're incredible. You are so smart. Who, who helped you be so intelligent? You're like, I just said what you said. But anyone, had a, anyone was a student like that? Anybody like that? Or you know someone like that? All right, Jesus is, this guy goes back and he says, he says, well, I'll tell you, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. I, I picture the cheesy smile. And Jesus turns around and, because this is where Jesus is so incredible. Jesus is much more concerned with loving a person than his reputation. Because what Jesus could have said is, that's incredible. Where did you get that from? Where did you get that divine wisdom? Oh, me. Thank you very much. Jesus doesn't call him out at all. Jesus turns to the guy and it says, you've answered correctly. Bingo. Way to go. Do this and you will live Verse 29, but he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? By the way, this is the very definition of religion. Religion is all about man trying to justify himself or herself in and of our own efforts to find right standing with God based off of our performance. It's our native framework. It's how we operate. You're like, what's up with all the religions in the world? It is the way we try to do faith without faith. And we're all guilty of it. See, the scribe, his, his heart intentions are now becoming very clear. He is convinced. He's testing Jesus' orthodoxy and realizes Jesus passed the test. And now he's trying the humble brag of like, hey, man, we're on the same page. You're with me. You're with my crew. And now this scribe is convinced that he can be justified by his right thinking about God, by his right theology, by his right orthodoxy, or the way he thinks and conceptualizes God. And so Jesus turns around like the master communicator full of love for this man. And while he affirms his theology, you have said rightly, he challenges his duology. Do this and you'll live. While Jesus affirms this man's orthodoxy in what was probably a genuine heart posture to some degree, he challenges his orthopraxy or the way his faith in theory is not being lived out in his real life, specifically manifested by a lack of love for his neighbor. The, the cultural context here is important to understand. See, the scribe is not alone. He is a product of his religious environment. There are rabbis that would have taught, love your neighbor extends to everybody, but there was also a whole section of rabbis who taught that in fact you were supposed to love your neighbor as much as you hated your enemy. So Jesus goes on and tells probably one of the most famous stories or parables in the Bible about the Good Samaritan. How many of you are familiar with the Good Samaritan? You've heard it before. All right, to get us all on the same page, the, the Jewish people um, basically had moved into a realm where they had lost the mission. 
See, the mission, it's not just followers of Jesus that have been given a great commission to go and reach out and make disciples and care for the lost and the least and the broken and the alone. In the book of Isaiah, God told the Jewish people, he said that their call, the people of God were supposed to be a light to the nations. That was their mission. That was their call. The problem is that they had lost the mission. And so at this time period, Jewish people would not go. The, the, the neighbor in this story ends up being this guy called a Samaritan. He was from a people group that, was, that had sort of practiced religious syncretism. And they had mixed a little bit of the way of God with a little bit of other religions and a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And, and the Jewish people had come to loathe their neighbor. And Jesus said, no, 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 you, you missed the mission. You forgot your call. See, the Pharisees had a passion for orthodoxy or right beliefs about God, but they had drifted in their praxis. We were there in Guyana and we were talking about their context. And by the way, some incredible disciples over there doing some amazing kingdom stuff. And Michelle is doing such a great job leading. I mean, it was such a joy. It will be the first of, I'm sure, many trips, God willing. It was very apparent when we got there, we didn't have some master plan for Guyana. It was very clear. This is not a greenhouse vision. This is a God vision that we're stumbling into. I mean, it was, it was amazing. It was wild. We were talking there about the, the tension in their context of religion. I'm like, oh, that's not just your context. That is, that is humans. That's Americans too. See, here's the problem. What religion does versus gospel or versus faith, faith is a love, but it's a love of living things. It's a love for people. It's a love for God who is very much alive. Religion is not a lack of love so much as it is, as it is a love of the wrong things. If faith is a love of living things, religion is a love of dead things. It's a love of rules and practices and theories and concepts and commandments and Sabbaths, which are not wrong in and of themselves, but they're not the point. And if we're not careful in our context, our relationship with God can become a religion of rules and our mission gets twisted into becoming, well, how, how good can we be? How religiously dutiful can we be? Or how much can we know? And listen, I believe and we believe in holiness and living above reproach. And we believe we've got classes all summer long, summer discipleship, where we want you to grow in your knowledge of God. But friends, that is not our mission. Says who? Says Jesus. Jesus said, remember why Jesus said he came? He said, the son of man came to do what? Seek and save the lost. And if we are disciples, we've talked about this, if we are going to be disciples of Jesus, it means that we follow him. It means that his mission becomes our mission. And so Jesus here goes on after this man looking to justify himself says, well, well gee, it kind of looks for his way out. And Jesus goes on to tell this story of the good Samaritan, not to condemn this man, but to help rescue him from his mission drift. Let me give us an operating definition of mission according to the scriptures, according to this parable. Mission means crossing cultural barriers and leaving comfort zones to bring God's love to the lost and the least. Mission means crossing cultural barriers and leaving comfort zones to bring God's love to the lost and the least. Because we live in a world that's broken. Because we live in a world that's floundering, especially in this post, pre, in, at tail end, wherever we're at in this nightmare called the pandemic. 
We live in a world in which anxiety is skyrocketing and suicide ideation is skyrocketing and all these painful realities are beginning to hit home in very visceral ways. And my fear is that just like back then, the same thing is right now. These scribes, these Pharisees, these religious people, hey oh, Christians, had begun to forget, forget the mission and they were drifting as a result. And Jesus clarifies for this man who had a passion and a great love for the theology and making sure that doctrine was sound, although they missed it in praxis, Jesus clarifies for this man that his love is not love if it doesn't lead to mission. Let me say that one again because it's a challenge. Because I think it's tempting when we look at this framework to say, well, I'm just, a, I'm just a worship person, Pastor John. Like, mission's hard for me. Or I'm just a community person, Pastor John. I, I don't know about mission. I, I'm just not good at it. I'm, it's not my gift. I'm not an evangelist, Pastor John. I mean, you, you like to preach and talk about Jesus. It's just not my gift. And it's tempting to think these are like optional features in our car called spirituality. And Jesus makes clear that love, supposed love, is not the love that God is looking for if it does not lead to mission. We were talking in Guyana, and, and we started dialoguing on this, and we're like, oh, snake in the backyard. I'm like, what, huh? They're like, oh, sorry, 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 you don't know what that means. I'm like, I have no clue what that means. They're like, it's like a, it's like a, a cultural sort of proverb. They're like, snake in the back, so I'll share it with you now. They said, snake in the backyard is like, imagine if, if you were hanging out with some friends, and you had to take your dog out back to go for a little walk and use the bathroom, and while you were back there, you saw this snake, and so you rightly kind of picked up, anybody like snakes? Am I gonna offend anybody right now? Okay, you, sorry about that, Ralph. Um, but let's say, let's say we don't like snakes in this story and it was, a, it was a poisonous snake. You don't like poisonous snakes. Okay, great. And, uh, and so you're there and so you grab your dog real quick and you run back inside. And then like an hour later, your friends are like, man, let's go get some fresh air. Let's go out to the backyard. And you're like, all right, cool. And you just let them go. They were like, how bad of a friend would you be? Like, what they said is, how much would you have to hate your friends not to tell them, oh, by the way, there's a poisonous snake in the backyard, right? This is the idea. I'm, I'm reminded Penn and Teller, who were some really famous old school comedians that were outspokenly atheist. They basically tell the story and, and, and the people were baffled because he was on record for saying that he had no respect for Christians who did not share their faith. And so someone followed up, they're like, there's no way this is a quote from you because you don't believe in God, you don't believe in faith. Like, did someone take that out of context? He's like, oh no, definitely not. He's like, listen, I think religion and all of that and Christianity, I don't think it's real, I think it's a bunch of garbage. He said, but if you really think that people are in danger of eternal separation from God, if you really think that people's lives would be so thoroughly enriched if they just had this relationship with God, if you really think that God loves people so much that he gave his life for them so they could experience flourishing, if you really believe that, how much do you have to hate someone to believe that and not share it with them? <sighs> Dagger to the heart, right? See, mission without love, it's just a chore. And we all feel it, it's nauseating. It's like, oh man, I, you're not talking to me because you love me, you're just talking to me because you, you wanna do your spiritual duty. Like, you, you don't even care about my life, you don't even care about my heart, you don't even care about, like, you're just trying, mission without love is a chore, check this. But love without mission is dead love. Jesus says, I want the real thing. And disciples go green, worship and community and mission. And by the way, it's not just about 
the world that God so loves. It's about you. Why? Because your faith comes fully alive when you embrace the call to mission. I see it over and over and over again. When you tap into purpose, your faith comes fully alive when you embrace the call to mission. So ask yourself this question. Is mission really hard for me? Like, take a moment. Even, even right now, you close your eyes if it helps you. I want us to focus here. Because I have a feeling that for you, like for me, like for humans, it is. Is mission, is, is this the hardest component of living in the green for me? Worship, yeah, 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 I know that. I, man, I need God desperately, I know that. Community, yeah, obviously, man, microchurch. I, man, I love my microchurch, being around people. Mission, oh. Is mission really hard for me? And then be like Jesus and ask a follow-up question. Why? Why? Is it a lack of love for others? Sometimes that's the case. People are punks. Our hearts get hard. We grow cynical. We grow jaded. We forget where we used to be. Is it a lack of love for other people? Or, or maybe it's too much love for self, for your image, for your reputation. How is this gonna go? Is it gonna be awkward? Are they gonna think I'm judging them? Are people gonna think this is weird? Ah, and, and, we, and we hold back. And my prayer is that as a community of faith, we would press into the discomfort and ask God for his eyes, ask God for his heart, ask God for his love, and go on the mission. You know, it's, it's, it's funny, because as I was there in Guyana and and it sort of worked out in God's providence what we were gonna be preaching about. Like there's a lot of aspects of, of South Florida greenhouse or Gainesville greenhouse. And I'm like, oh man, this is gonna be so cool to, to share with them there. And this is gonna be such a helpful component. Or, and, and there were so many ways where I'm like, man, I can't wait to see how this kind of looks a little bit like what God's doing here. And then when it came to this topic, I'm like, man, sweet Lord Jesus, I want us to be like them. I mean, God, just so you know, we've got a group of like, Young professionals, 20s, 30s, some in their early 40s, who were just, who've just gotten lit up for Jesus. And in their cultural context, they're like, man, religion has just looked so fake. It's been so unconcerned with the real needs. We got to sit down with the, the investment minister. He's like the second in command in the whole country. I'm like, Michelle, how did you set this up? She's like, I don't know. I'm like, goodness gracious, favor. We sit down with this guy, here's his request. He said, listen, I grew up, my, 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 his father was a pastor. He's like, I, like much of our people, want nothing to do with Christianity because of the way it's been applied in our context. He said, but I haven't given up hope. He said, and my hope is that there could be a, the word he used was practical Christianity. My hope is that there could be a practical Christianity. And as he unpacked that, what he meant was a Christianity that does not stay in the realm of theory and orthodoxy, but actually moves into tangible orthopraxy where the lost are reached and the broken are mended and the poor are cared for and the forgotten are remembered and people are made whole. He said, that's what we need in our country. We're like, we could work on that. We could work on that. Here's my prayer. Here's, here, here's where I want us to go in application. I am praying that we as a faith community, that we, if you're watching online, if you're here in the room, that we would turn our love into action. This Pharisee, this teacher of the law, I'm convinced in the Mark account, it said that Jesus looked at this guy and he, was, he loved him. He was like, what a great response. I think this guy had genuine love that was halfway in its implementation. 
And my prayer is that we would turn our genuine love for God into action, that we would join God on his rescue mission, that we would join God on his rescue mission. How many of you are here right now because someone reached out to you, prayed for you, talked with you, shared with you, or invited you? Almost everybody here. And it took an ordinary person to say yes. Luke 10, 28, this man responds with excellent theology. And Jesus responds back to him and he says this. He says, man, that is a great answer. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Do this and you will live. The issue I think sometimes for us and and it's human beings and, and it's the temptation of religion, the danger is that we have all the right answers. We just don't do them. Jesus says, man, that's right. You're on the right track. Do this and you will live. Do this and you'll come alive. Do this and you'll find joy. Do this and you'll find peace. Do this and all of the boredom that you were pointing the finger at Christianity all of a sudden disappears because it was not a problem with the mission. It was a problem with the lack of implementation. So where do we start? When you walked in, you should have gotten one of these little bookmark looking things here. If you did not, you can grab one on your way out. We talk about this a lot and we've done this for a long time and I wanna bring it back right here. This is called a VIP card. Can you guess what it's for? It's for VIPs, ingenious marketing. This is for people in your real life that you really love and care about. This is for people that that you're like, man, I, I care about them so much that the greatest thing I have ever experienced in my entire life, I want them to experience as well. Just like if you go to a restaurant and it's incredible and you're like, whoo, man, what do you do? The first thing you do, you you order takeout the next day. But after that, you tell a friend, right? Because what we do as humans is when we experience something incredible, we tell the people that we love. But we get weird when it comes to spirituality because what what if they and what if they and... This is a card where you're gonna put down the names of people in your real life that you really love and care about. You can grab, there's a digital version as well. You can text the number on the screen and get it on your phone right there, put it on your lock screen or whatever you want. But but you're gonna write names down on this card of people that have not yet had an encounter with God like maybe you have. Not because you are better than them, heavens no, but because you know if Jesus can do something incredible in your life, knowing where you were at, he could do something incredible in anybody's lives. And you're committing to pray for that person or these people on this list every single day. How many of you would like to be prayed for specifically by name every single day? Right, you're like, that sounds awesome. That's what we're doing here. You're grabbing one of these VIP cards. You're committing, man, I'm gonna pray every single day that God would bless my friend, that God would bless my coworker, that God would show them how much he loves them, that God would encounter her and be with her in her business, in her job, that God would give her wisdom, that God would give him wisdom as he parents his family. You're praying God's abundant blessing on their lives, that God would move, and you said, I'm gonna pray for them every single day. You're like, if you don't have one of these, start that today. One of the best starting places is just start praying. Just start praying. Let God start moving your heart for what his heart is moved for. And then from there, take that prayer into action. The second application step from this VIP card is as you're praying over these names every single day, once a week say, God, I wanna have like a significant 
interaction, a, a spiritual conversation. As you're praying, you're like, God, give me like an encouragement. Give me a, a Bible verse. Give me an encouraging thought. Give me something uplifting because in this day and age, we all could use a little bit more encouragement. And once a week, you're committing to intentionally investing in one of these relationships. You're engaged, it's one of the ironic and I think heartbreaking things of our cultural context. Overwhelmingly, people who are not people of faith when they're polled, they're like, man, I'd be totally down to have like a faith conversation. I'd be really up for like a, a Jesus conversation. I shared it earlier in the sermon, especially for someone who's willing to listen without judgment. The irony is that who makes these spiritual conversations weird is not people who are not Jesus people or not church people or not religious people. They're like, I'm intrigued. I mean, I'm open. I'm, I don't think I'm gonna go in that direction, but yes, I care about you. I'd love to hear your thoughts. We're the ones who don't do it. If you have a legitimate relationship with Jesus, talk about it with your friends that you care about. You know, I was, I was thinking about something the other day. Oh, what were you thinking about? Man, I was thinking, I was reading this Bible verse. You read the Bible? Yeah, actually. Why? Oh, you're in... And now all of a sudden you're having conversations with people. Do you know the stat right now? 60% of people when polled right now in the midst of this pandemic season say they have not had a conversation about deep things that matter to them with another friend in over six months. People are longing for connection, especially about the most important matters of the heart. And if you follow Jesus, guess what? This is one of the most important matters of the heart to you. And deep, vulnerable relationships are when we share those things. Here's my prayer, Greenhouse, that we would give God a shot. Scripture says that God searches throughout the whole earth, looking for those through whom he can show himself strong. I've got friends right now in my life that they've begun this journey with Jesus, and they've started sort of this relationship, and they had great theology, and and it was all there and, and, and sort of in orthodoxy. And then, and then they were like, man, I'm gonna get in community. And that, that started making things happen. And then they got on mission. Like I'm thinking of my buddy, Zach. We go way back like 15 years. We've been through some stuff together. And, and I remember talking with Zach and we were just kind of like, man, and it was kind of the Christianity is boring conversation to be honest. He's like, man, there's just a bunch of rules and a bunch of thoughts and a bunch of, and getting to a point where it's like, okay, Jesus, if this is, yeah, no, we can sing songs, we can do all this stuff. If this is like real though, People that I care about, their lives are really hanging in the balance. People that I care about, they're really in depression. People that I care about, they're really suicidal. People that I care about, they're really broken in their bodies and modern science has not been able to figure out the solution. So Jesus, if you're really who you say you are and you can really do what you say you can do, I'm in. And if not, I'm out. And I'm watching as as people begin to step into mission, all of a sudden, the things that were kind of dead, the things that seem very boring, the thoughts that seem very esoterical and theoretical, all of a sudden you engage in the mission and faith comes alive. I'm thinking about the adventure that awaits when we join on the mission. It's what we were made for. Like, you feel it, right? We do not flourish in our hearts when we just go through the motions and make life all about ourselves. We don't flourish. We actually wither. Why? Because we were not created to make life about ourselves. By the way, mission is not just what you're doing. It's how you're doing it. As disciples of Jesus, we followed Jesus' MO, and Jesus just went around doing a bunch of ordinary stuff, but it was how he did it that made all the difference. Jesus went around and, and he said, man, I only do the things I see the Father doing. This does not mean that you're like, okay, Pastor John, what do I have to do? I have to go quit my job and stand on the street corners and be like, Jesus saith to youeth, that Godeth loveth youeth. King Jameth is more spiritual. Do I quit my job? What do I do? No, you do ordinary stuff with Jesus. 
It means while you're at the grocery store, you're like, God, what are you up to? It means that while you're in your class, you're like, God, what are you up to? It means that while you're at your job, you're like, God, what are you up to? I know you love the people in my life and I love them too. Show me what you want me to do. Realize that in all of your ordinary life, you are not simply going, you have been sent on a mission. And my prayer is that we would begin to do the same ordinary things in a very extraordinary way. Father, what are you up to in my class? What are you up to in my job? What are you up to with my neighbor? What are you up to on this bus? What are you up to in the grocery store checkout line? We were in Guyana and they tossed out this phrase. They said, you know, in our context, we have this phrase that it's that benches are graves. Benches are graves. I'm like, I, I don't get it. They're like, well, benches are like pew benches. I'm like, ah, we don't have those. We have chairs, but okay, I'm tracking with you. They're like, yeah, benches are graves. The idea is that when you're, when you're young, you gotta go live your life. When you're young, you gotta go do your stuff. When you're young, you gotta go sow, sow your wild oats and, and ratchet and wild out and do all this stuff. And then when you're old, you could go and get in church and then die. Benches are graves, right? I'm like, that's actually an American idea too. We just don't have that cool phrase for it. And, and here's a tragedy. We actually think that real life is when we run from God. And the reality is that we, real life happens, check this, when we run to God and then we start running with God. And if you only do one of those things, you will miss it and sit in a spot where you're like, man, Christianity is so boring. But it's not, you just only followed half the recipe. That's why it doesn't taste good. We were created for mission. We have been wired for mission. And you'll never get more of Jesus than when you're giving him away. This is the beauty of the way of Jesus. For so many of us, this season has been heartbreaking and challenging. And for so many of us, we maybe sit in this space where we become disillusioned with Christianity and we're in the temptation of becoming disillusioned with Jesus entirely. And you're like, God, I need you to show up. I need you to speak to me. I need you to show me that you're real. I need you to show me that you love me. I need you to come through and come through. And we're, we're here and we're here and we're here and we're thinking and... And my experience overwhelmingly has been, and watching the Guyana crew live this out, they're going into low-income neighborhoods and they're like, well, you guys talk about disciples live on mission. And so they're going into neighborhoods of their own, these bunch of these young people are doing community-based development, they're doing needs assessments and they're raising up community leaders and, and they're alive. I'm like, man, we need, can, we, can I bottle up this life and bring it back here? I'm like, oh, I can. It's called mission. They're on the mission. Are you bored with life? Are you bored with Christianity? Are you fed up with religion? Join the club. It's time to join the adventure. It's time to get on mission. For some of you, your faith feels boring and your faith feels dead and it's because you haven't shared the gospel in months. Get on the mission. For some of you, your faith feels boring and dead and it's because you haven't served the poor in three years. And you'll never get more of Jesus than when you're giving him away. Can I say it with a smile on my face? Man, get on the mission. We cannot forget the mission. See, of all these three, here's the irony, and I'm getting ready to close here. Worship team, you can come. We'll go in a final chorus in just a moment, but worship matters, but we'll be worshiping in heaven for all of eternity. You guys tracking with me on that one? Community matters, but we're gonna be together in heaven for, for all of time. But mission is the only one where we have only one shot on this planet and when our time on this earth is done, mission is no more. The only time we have is right now.
And I realized this could very easily be, all right, Pastor John, way to make me feel horrible about myself. I'm so glad I came to church today. And that's not my heart because that's not his heart. We struggle. We struggle with fear. We get distracted. Sometimes we're more concerned with what people think about us than how much we actually care about them. Sometimes it's pride. Sometimes we get judgmental. We get self-righteous. We think, well, if they, this is the whole point of the Good Samaritan, the, the, the people of God had been commissioned to go to the they, but instead they decided they would just judge the they from afar. But that's not the mission. Which is why we can only step out on the mission for him when we realize he already stepped out on the mission for us. I'm gonna close it with this story. We were, we were there in Guyana and and there was a lady that showed up. We had different night meetings. I'm like, a, I'm an old man in a younger man's body. I go to bed at like 10 p.m. every single night and I wake up early. And so they're like, 3 a.m. I'm like, oh God, I wanna die, Jesus. I think I'm gonna come see you right now. Having dinner at two in the morning and all sorts of crazy stuff for the mission. I'm like, amen. And there was this lady that kept showing up every single night. And in the context there in Guyana, the infrastructure is, is not built out to support the population. And so traffic is a nightmare. It felt a little bit like Miami on steroids. Traffic is kind of a nightmare. And, and, and there's been flooding all throughout the region. And so the roads wash out and, and the internet's spotty. And so, and this woman, I was like, does she live like right next door? They're like, oh no, she's traveling. I was like, what in the world? They said, Pastor John. I was like, so is she like, she's like in, like she's like a core member of the group. They're like, she joined like last week. I'm like, what in the world? They're like, oh. They said, well, what happened was one of her family members had a tragic accident. And, and there was things that could be done. The problem was that these things that could be done medically were very expensive and she did not have the money to pay for this. And so once someone in our micro church, someone in our group, they found out about this need and they came to the community. These are not a bunch of wealthy people. These are not a bunch of well-off people. It's a bunch of young people and, and young working professionals, college grads who don't have a J-O-B. And so they're like, but we came together and we said, if everybody can do a little bit, we can be the hands and feet of Jesus to this woman and her, and her child. So they raised a bunch of money, reminded me of the middle, widow's mite story. They put together everything they could and and they went and they bought the medical supplies that, that this woman needed and they brought them there. And I was talking with Michelle, our missions coordinator, and I was getting some of this backstory and she's like, John, I'll tell you why she's all in on Greenhouse Guyana and why she's all in on this mission. She's all in on the mission because she's experienced it firsthand in her own family and in her own life. And I started thinking about Jesus, and I started thinking about mission, and I started thinking about my own life, and I started remembering where I was before Jesus rescued me. And I'd encourage you to do the same. I started being in a spot where I'm like, man, I, I remember getting to a point where I hated who I had become. I remember getting to a point, right now you see me, and I'm happy-go-lucky, and I've got joy and whatever. I remember getting to a point where I could not hug my own mom back because my heart had gotten so hard. And I remember hating who I'd become. I would literally cuss myself out because I hated who I was, but I couldn't change it. And it's so easy for me to forget it right now and think, well, man, I'm good and, and I'm fine. And to think about my life and my career and my family and my peoples and my crew and forget that I once was lost and I've been found and I was blind and now I see and I've been given a mission. And I started thinking about that. I'm like, Jesus, 
It's hard for me, just like it's hard for every single human. And I get self-conscious and I, I wonder, oh man, what are they going to think? Are they going to think I'm trying to judge them? And ah, I don't want to. And, but God, I love you and I love people. At least I want to more and more. And the moral of the story, friends, is we step out to be missionaries if and only if we realize that we were the mission. And when we're in touch with that, it at least propels our heart forward to say, God, I want to be a disciple, which means I want, I need to, I've got to live green. Worship and community and mission. When we remember the, the feeling of being broken without hope and lost without hope and despondent and angry, and hopeless and suicidal and, and alone, convinced that we were completely unloved. And scripture tells us that in Jesus, we've been gifted the role of ambassador to make sure that everyone knows they don't have to feel that way anymore. And my prayer is that we take a step back onto the mission this morning. Would you join me as we pray? Holy Spirit, we need your help on this one. Lord, we're prone to wander. We're prone to forget. We've all got a little bit of this scribe in us that, that when we hear you say, do this and you will live, we're like, whoa, 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 what exactly do you mean by do? I mean, how often and, and to who and, and what's the frequency? And, and God, we always are, we struggle to self-justify. God, we don't want to do that anymore. We know it, Lord, that real life comes when we get our eyes off of ourselves and our image and our thoughts and our insecurities and we can get our gaze onto you. And the people who you love, God, you so love the world. People just like us who are hurting and broken and lost and wandering and hopeless and despondent. God, you so love the world and we want to love them too we're no different Lord the only difference is we're a bunch of beggars around a community of beggars saying hey I found someone who's got bread let's go to him together Lord give us that heart if you're here this morning in the room or online and you know that that before joining the mission you're like Man, pastor preacher I, I am the mission like I'm I'm broken, I'm lost, I'm hurting, I'm, I'm despondent. I came in here giving this one shot, and then I'm like, I don't know where else to turn. Friend, I've got such good news for you. Jesus loves you so much, and he demonstrated that love on the cross. And if you are humble enough to turn to him and say, I need some help, I, I need to do this, I need to be rescued. He promised rescue every single time to any who are humble and desperate enough to ask. If you need to be rescued from, by Jesus from sin and shame and hopeless cycles of pain and failure that you cannot escape on your own efforts because you've tried, and if you wanna press in to a new heart and a fresh start, it is available for you in Jesus. If you're in that boat in the room or watching online or later on demand, and you wanna reach out to Jesus for rescue, I just want you to shoot your hand up in the air right now. Say, man, that's me, that's me. If you're online, I know I can't see it, but I think there's something powerful that happens. Awesome, I see it. I know there's something powerful that happens when we acknowledge externally what's going on in our hearts. It seems to solidify and make it more real. Even right there in the privacy of, of your own seat or your own living room, wherever you're watching from, just begin to pray your heart to God. No magic formula, something along the lines of, Jesus, rescue me, help me. 
I, I, I wanna make a difference in this world. I, I wanna help people. I wanna bring about flourishing in others, but I know I need to be made whole before I can help other people. Jesus, help me. Maybe you're here and you're a, a follower of Jesus. You've been rescued by Jesus, but something is stirring in your heart this morning because you know you've run to God, but you stopped. And it's time for you to start running with God into the brokenness, into the pain, into the lostness of our context, of our city and of our world. If you know you've been rescued, but you've checked out of the mission and you wanna sign back on, do it today. I mean, you could start as simply as before you even leave, grab a VIP card, sit down in a seat, get some space by yourself and say, God, put some people on my heart. Maybe you're like, I don't have a single friend in, this, in a spot like you talked about, Pastor John, that's, that's in a rough spot, a tough spot, a dangerous spot that doesn't yet know Jesus. Then that can be your prayer. God, open my eyes. Give me your heart. Start it today. Let's all stand to our feet. We're gonna close in a final chorus. If I could get our prayer partners up here. If God's stirring in your heart, whether you wanna make a decision to follow Jesus, you've got questions about that. If you raised your hand, if you didn't, but you're like, I wish I would have, you got one more shot. We're gonna start singing this chorus. Why don't you come forward as soon as we start to sing? We've got a group down here. They would love to pray with you, encourage you in your faith journey. If you're online, you can request prayer right there in the chat. You can text Jesus to the number on the screen. We'd love to text with you, call you, meet up with you for coffee, whatever your preference is to answer the questions you have about God, faith, and spirituality. But let's close out singing this final chorus together. And as soon as we do, you're welcome to come forward and receive some prayer. Let's do it.